Cooler than Math Club and almost as cool as Chess Club. The Fan Club. Log on to sportsnet590.ca. The Fan on Demand. Noon for Baseball Central. We'll talk a little Blue Jays later on in the hour before we give way to Jeff and Joe. But uh, this hour, we talk a bit of hockey. Is uh, Cody Franson had been asking for $4.2 million. Leafs saying, we'll pay you $2 million for your next contract. And before they could hit arbitration, uh, $3.3 million was what they settled on. George making Cody Franson the second highest Maple <sighs> Leafs defenseman. Wow. The second highest paid Maple Leafs defenseman which obviously does not sit well with you. And it doesn't sound right to me as well. A guy who mm, can chip be. in on the power play. And to <laughs> me, Cody Franzen's a guy you want on a good team, you want to have in your as your 5-6 pair, not a guy that is making the second most amount of money on your blue line. And, and again, I was mentioning this earlier. To me, the Leafs always seem to run into cap trouble. And when you pay a guy like Cody Franzen $3.3 million to, to be on your 5-6 pair, it just doesn't fit to me. We'll open up the phones, let you weigh in on Franson's new deal before we do that. Elliot Friedman, NHL insider, NHL on Rogers, joining us on the Jeff Blair Show on Sportsnet 590, the fan. Elliot is you know, basically going up the middle here as far as what Franson wanted and what the Leafs wanted. Is this what you expected? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if life was always so easy? Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I want one thing. You want one thing. Let's go right in the middle. Exactly. Or close to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. That's, um, th- that's about what uh, I think a lot of us expected. Obviously, there was a significant gap in the figures that they filed, but a lot of these things do get sawed off. You know, arbitration can be uh, pretty ugly. There's some, you know, some, some pretty legendary cases out there of where, you know, people went through with things and it poisoned the relationship between player and team. So if you can avoid it, it's always a good idea. And I, I don't think anybody's surprised that we ended up at this spot with Franzen. Uh, Elliot, not surprised, but as Jeff and I were just mentioning it, does Cody Franzen feel like the guy who should be the second highest paid blue liner on the Leafs? Well, the thing is what normally happens, George, and I think everybody just forgets this, is that it's not always, you know, with the way the CBA works, it's not always about who deserves to make what. It's it's about, you know, where people are at their points in their careers. Right. And, you know, Cody Franzen's in a spot where he has some leverage. He's one year away from unrestricted free agency. And if you ask anybody, especially when it comes to arbitration, you know, what sells? Numbers. And Cody Franzen has numbers. And uh, I think when you... You know, when you look at it, you know, to me, I think next year, for example, the guys who are going to be put in position to take big steps are Jake Gardner and Morgan Riley. You know, the Maple Leafs want these guys playing a little bit more. They want them playing a little bit more in in critical situations. And I I could see a situation where if Franson starts with Toronto, you know, 40 games in, where we could all be looking at it and saying, you know, why aren't those guys your second and third highest paid defensemen? But they're just not at the point in their career where they have the kind of leverage that Franson does. So I know we all get caught up on the numbers, but I think you have to look deeper than that. You know, 
know, Franzen's in the spot where he's got more leverage than other guys. And, uh, you know, that's the way life works. You have leverage and you use it. Peter Horchek is a new Maple Leafs assistant coach, and, and he had uh, Cody Franson in Nashville. Do you think that, um, you know, that remarriage is going to help Cody Franson at all, or is, is that too obvious and perhaps an overblown thing to look at? No, I, I never think that's a bad idea, Jeff, to look at things like that. Hmm. To me, I, I think the bigger question is, you know, is Franson going to be here at the start of the year? Um, you know, obviously, the relationship between team and player is not easy. Um, they've had some contract battles for a few years in a row now. Um, you know, it's pretty clear he wasn't happy at points last year, and, and they weren't happy with him. But, you know, he's a right-shot guy who can score points, and those guys are hard to find. Um, you know, you look, you see more and more situations around the league now, and Toronto is one of the teams where they're really working hard to try to get a right-left balance. And, you know, Franzen is a right-shot guy who can score, although the Maple Leafs, I think, would like to see him shoot a little bit more. You know, those guys are, are important to have. I mean, the, the tough thing right now is, and, and I think there have been some teams sniffing around Franzen. and I think Calgary, for example, was one. And, the, you know, the Maple Leafs know they can't just give the guy away. He's too talented. But the other teams know, you know, am I going to give up a piece for somebody who's a year away from testing the market? And look at how well defensemen just did. I mean, nobody made a bigger killing in free agency this year than defensemen. So I think, you know, the Maple Leafs are in a bit of a tough spot. Teams that are trying to trade with them are, are in a bit of a tough spot. And I think if he does start the year this year, I always think if you have familiarity there, like a guy like Horacek, I do believe it helps. Uh, Elliot, we heard the story that Cody Franzen was the roster player that the Habs wanted in exchange for Josh Georges. Yep. Do you think that that has any bearing on this contract or the relationship with the Maple Leafs? No, I don't. Um, I think there were a couple of different options there. I think, you know, Franzen was a possibility. I think there was also a chance that Montreal was going to do it for a draft pick. But, you know, I don't think those reports were really wrong in any particular way. Um, I think, you know, players understand now that, you know, this is a business. And, you know, Cody Franzen's been traded before. I think when you're a young guy and you get traded for the first time, it can really shock you. But Franzen's been through this. He's been through a trade. He's been through, you know, one pretty ugly contract dispute last year. Um, I think as you get older, and he's a pretty mature guy, um, you get used to this kind of thing. You understand a bit more that it's a business. And, and I, I can't imagine there's any doubt that Cody Franzen is, you know, hasn't looked to next year and said, next summer and said, where could I be? So, I mean, it's always possible he has a good year and the relationship changes and maybe all of a sudden the Maple Leafs and friends and look at each other differently and say, maybe this marriage can work. But I think if you're friends and right now, you know, you're, you're probably understanding of the idea that the Maple Leafs have looked around to test your value. And, you know, maybe you're not all that worried about it. With Elliot Friedman on Sportsnet 5.9 of the fan, that's George. I'm Jeff. The Leafs situation right now in terms of finances and who is left out there to bring back, uh, do they have enough money to bring back who they want? 
I think so. Um, they still have a, they still have a bit of room. I mean, obviously they have to get the Reimer situation sorted out. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's like a, a bridge deal for Gardner, um, like a, a two-year thing. I, I would suspect, and this is purely guesswork on my part of the number, somewhere in the mid twos. Um, I think they've had some conversations about it. And from what I understand, I, I don't think there's an expectation it's going to be a, a, a brutal deal to get done. Um, you know, I, I think the, one of the things I kind of heard is that, you know, when they were around the draft, um, they asked them, they, they had a bit of flexibility at the time. They, they kind of asked teams, you know, are you, are you looking to dump something? Is there a way we can maybe you trade us and we get an asset too that we can use? I don't know if that's still a situation. You know, the one thing I do think the Maple Leafs did is they, and this has been pretty widely reported, is that they had a lot of their guys out there that they were just testing the market value on. And I don't, you know, I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, if you're a general manager, you kind of have to know, look, if I wanted to trade this guy, you know, what could I get for him? But um, I don't know if anything like that's going on right now. I think they had a few teams ask them about Lupul. Um, but, you know, when you look at what, you know, Joffrey Lupul's a 25-goal guy. He's making $5.25 million now. If you, if you trade Joffrey Lupul, are you going to be able to replace him for that cap hit? That, that's a pretty good number. So I'm not as convinced. I think they had a couple teams ask about him, but I'm not so convinced the Maple Leafs are willing to do that anymore. Uh, L.A., when we looked forward uh, towards uh, James Reimer's arbitration as well, and I just, I just can't... I don't think it's going to be as interesting as Ryan O'Reilly's, but it could be close. <laughs> well, uh, well, we talk about James Reimer, though. We saw the friction between him and Randy Carlisle. Can James Reimer come back to the Maple Leafs and be Jonathan Bernier's backup? Do you see a scenario where the Leafs and Reimer can coexist or they're going to have to until the Leafs can find a new home for Reimer? Well, you know, at the end of the day, you know, Jeff, and I've used this line before, we all have these days where we don't like our bosses, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Never. Hells yeah. Never. And, And at the end of the day, you've got to be a pro about it. And if it works out that James Reimer's back in Toronto next year, I mean, you know, I'm sure he'd be disappointed and he'd prefer to be somewhere else. But at the end of the day, if you don't be a professional, who are you hurting? Yourself. Because mm-hmm. it's a small league and all of a sudden people start to say, why would I go out and get James Reimer if, you know, he's unhappy and he's being a downer? I, I just don't see him being that because, A, it's not really his personality, and, and B, it doesn't serve the purpose for him to be like that. Um, if you're James Reimer and you're back in Toronto next year, you really only have one thing to do, and that is to do, have a great summer of work, work on your game, and then show up next year with a positive attitude doing you know, whatever you can. And you know, I, I think the other thing, too, everybody forgets is just because you start the year as the backup you know, doesn't mean you finish that way. Um, you know, obviously the Maple Leafs hope that Jonathan Bernier stays healthy and runs with the job, but we've all seen that, you know, life throws you curveballs. If there's an injury or he struggles, there's nothing that says that James, I mean, there's nothing that says that James Reimer can't be the number one here again. And I think if you're James Reimer, you have to show up at your best and be prepared to do your best because if you do that, it only increases your chance that you get another shot in Toronto or if another team suffers that injury and, and they need help, 
they look at Toronto and they say, oh, this guy's done pretty well when now we're interested. So I, I don't think it serves you any purpose to show up uh, pouting and not at your best. Well, and look, from Reimer's perspective, if he were to, to, to jump ship or want to be elsewhere, it would be for a team where he could be the starting goaltender. I haven't seen that team step up for James Reimer. So if I'm coming back to Toronto, I've, I've got something to prove, and it's not as if I had anybody beating down my door. Well, that's right, and, and a chip on the shoulder is a very powerful thing, Jeff. Sure. Uh, absolutely. And, and he, it, for, <laughs> I mean, for, for any athlete, it, it, you have that chip. You, you've, you've got to use that in, in the right way. And I, I think you, you described it perfectly earlier on. Not to pout, who wants to hang out with that guy? You know, who wants that guy working for you? I, I think when you're in a bad situation, I think teams learn more. I think this is just normal for life, too, never mind just hockey. But I think people learn more about themselves and about others when things are going badly as opposed to when things are going well. You know, Reimer's in a tough spot right now. There's no question about it. You know, if he handles it well, he'll increase his value. And I think, I think there have been people who've told him that, who said it, it doesn't serve you any purpose to show up next year, you know, angry. And, you know, I think if you've ever talked to Reimer, um, it's kind of not his way, at least not publicly. Uh, Elliot, when I look at Reimer, though, compared to Bernier, just the eye test to me for a number one goaltender in the NHL, Jonathan Bernier, to me, looks like a number one goaltender. And sometimes it isn't pretty with James Reimer. And yeah, he, he gets the job done most of the time. But to me, he just doesn't look like a true number one in the NHL. How's your vision? You 2020, <laughs> Sam? Well, oh, me? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm oh, sorry. I, I thought it was Jeff asking the question. I no, apologize. no worries. George, how's your vision? Uh, it's poor. Yeah, I'm not gonna okay. lie. so I don't know if I trust your eye test. Um, <laughs> uh, no, you know, I, I think we've all heard these debates about the way uh, about the way Reimer plays. You know, I, I look at it this way. At the end of the day, last year, when when he was the guy at the end of the season, the weird thing to me was the first periods. They, if you go back and you look at the numbers, he really had some awful first periods. Like his save percentage from if you took the first period and then you took the second period on, it was, it was noticeably lower. And that's what I would just look at. To me, that's the question. Like I'd be asking everybody in the Toronto organization. I'd be asking Reimer himself. I'd be asking people that know him. What, what was that? You know, was there a reason? Is there some way in the way you prepare that – you didn't weren't as effective when in, in the first period. Were you too keyed up? Were you too wired? Like, wh- what is that? And I'm sure you know some of it can be uh, can, can be contributed towards the way the Maple Leafs were playing defense at the time. But I don't think that explains why the numbers were so different. I just think you have to look at that. If he can answer that, and and his play or, or preparation towards the beginning of games improves next year, I think he goes a long way towards answering those questions. But, uh, you know, I think the thing is, is that I always say, George, that there's no reason that you can have to come back the same. You know, maybe there's certain things about his play that you don't like. Well, the bigger question is, what does he think about them? What does the team think about them? Mm. And if those are problems, he better fix them. And as an observer from outside, I was really, I really thought that it, if for whatever reason in the first period of games down the stretch last year, 
he just wasn't as good as he needed to be. Well, if if the first period is an issue, if he's too keyed up or something, have him well, jump on a bike or something for the you know before a game. Well, take but, out but again, that aggression, that energy. Elliot, we see all the teams key on his glove hand, and we see that pretty much every start of James Reimer. That the books out on James Reimer, you got to shoot high glove. Mm-hmm. And when we see the elite goaltenders in the NHL, and by no means am I calling James Reimer elite, it seems like there isn't a perceived weakness. But with James Reimer, I think even the the average fan knows. Yeah, you got to go high glove on Reimer. You know what? Everybody's got a weakness. Everybody does. And, and if you've got one, you've got to figure it out. And, yeah. uh, you know, look, it's no secret about that. I, I think everybody kind of knows it. And, you know, but the, thing, the bottom line is to me, like, this is a guy who had them within, you know, minutes of beating Boston. I, I don't know if Maple Leafs fans remember that actually occurring. <laughs> but, you know, I, so he's got it in him. I mean, you know, if you look at where he was supposed to be, he wasn't supposed to be here. So he's got a higher level than a lot of people think for him. And I think you just have to clear all the crap out of your head, and you have to worry about what really matters, and that's being your best and forgetting all of the aggravation you may feel that you have from the team, whether perceived or real. Um, you know, I don't think, uh, to me, okay, right now, if you're with James Reimer, you're buying low, okay, or you're selling low. But that doesn't mean it has to stay that way. You know, like I said, two years ago, this guy should have led the Maple Leafs to victory over the Boston Bruins, and they fell apart. I think it doesn't, nec- it doesn't mean that he's lost it. It doesn't mean he can't do it again. He's just at a low point right now, and he's got to fix it. It's Elliot Friedman on the Jeff Blair Show. That's George. I'm Jeff. Uh, Elliot, we were talking about Jake Gardner last uh, hour and wanted to get your thoughts on him in in relation to Randy Carlisle. Is that the right head coach for Jake Gardner? Well, I think this year we're really going to find out. Mm. Um, Look, if you listen to people in the organization, they they will tell you that Look, those guys have butted heads before, and Gardner has, you know, felt that his style has been cramped a bit with Carlisle. But I really liked where Gardner came last year. I like, I really like him. I, I think he's a good player. I think, you know, the big knock on him is that he puts himself into positions or put the puck in positions that can hurt you as much as it hurts the other team. But I still think that guys like that who have his skill, it's way too young to give up on them. Now, there's been stories going throughout the organization that when the rumors were around with Gardner last year, Carlisle went to them and said, you're not trading them, are, trading him, are you? Like, it's, it's too soon. And they said, no, we're not. I think they looked at it and they decided not to do it. Like, to me, this is a big year for, for Carlisle and the team. It's, it's pretty obvious that in the summer, they weren't, or sorry, just after the season, it was, there, was, there was at least the possibility Carlisle wasn't coming back. If they had got who they were looking for or somebody that they were looking for, then he was pro- Carlisle was probably out. But he's back, and like I talked about with Reimer before, things can change. Um, you know, I think he's got new assistant coaches. There's going to be new ideas. And 
I think, like, I don't think Gardner and Riley are going to play together this year, at least to start. But I do think that there's an understanding there that those two guys are going to start to see even more important in-game situations. They realize they have two, like Riley, I think, is a chance to be really special. And Gardner, I think, is, has a chance to be pretty good. And they recognize that. And I think what they're going to do is they're going to make a point this year of putting those guys into situations where they start to handle even more of the important minutes. And I think we'll have an idea this year, guys, what the Gardner-Carlisle relationship is really going to be. Because I think the organization wants him to be used in more important spots. I think he wants to be used in more important spots. And I think that we're going to find out if these two guys can really work to each other, be, work with each other this season because the organization needs to find out what they have because they think they could have something that's pretty good. Uh, Elliot, what else could Jake Gardner ask for in a coach like Randy Carlisle? A guy who played in the league for years, was a Norris Trophy winning defenseman, has won a Stanley Cup coaching guys like Scott Niedermeyer and Chris Pronger. He's like the tailor-made coach for Jake Gardner. How, how isn't that message getting through? I think, I think, George, that in a lot of us, our, our best char- characteristic is our worst characteristic. Mm. And I think both Carlisle and Gardner can be stubborn. Mm. And, you know, I, I think that Gardner has a way, like Gardner hasn't had a lot of rules on him since he played hockey. Like, you know, he, he could do a lot of things he really wanted to do. And he didn't really have to worry about the consequences of it because he was so much better than everybody else. That's harder in the NHL. Um, You know, I I think everybody knows that Jake Gardner can play great transition, that he can bring the puck up the ice, and that he can create things. Um, You know, we don't know yet how Gardner, if Gardner can be, a really tremendously effective player in his own zone. And I think if you ask other teams about Jake Gardner, they will tell you for all his ability to make a pass and, or carry the puck up the ice, he can put the puck into positions where it can really hurt you. Because if it gets turned over, it goes the other way and you're outmanned. And I think that's probably what Carlisle fights with him about. Um, you know, I think both guys need to bend a little bit. I think Carlisle has to recognize that, you know, he's got a real talent here that needs to be unleashed a bit. But I also think that Gardner has to recognize that he's not fully helping the team if he's creating turnovers. And, you know, Jim Rutherford has has a belief that you should never make a decision on an NHL defenseman until they're about 24 years old because they need that experience for you to really see what they are. I do agree with that. I think that... You know, Gardner deserves some time. You know, he's coming, he's getting to his second contract now. But I do think he's getting to a point where he's got to show that he gets how it's going to have to be a 200-foot game. I loved watching Gardner and Riley last year um, because, A, I think they're both really talented, and, B, they were either creating a scoring chance for you or for the other guys. And I think once the and, and Riley, I think in particular, figured it out a lot quicker than Gardner did, at least the theory of it. But I think Gardner has to get there too. And I think sometimes his stubbornness and Carlisle's stubbornness kind of gets in each other's way. Well, and it's it's not to say that Gardner shouldn't bend, 
but you know we talked about whether or not Randy Carlisle is the right head coach for Jay Gardner. Maybe this isn't the right club right now for Jay Gardner, and this is not nah, suggesting I don't that. no, no. But I mean, it's it's not suggesting that the Leafs should should trade away Jay Gardner, but that they're not good enough defensively as a team to let Jay Gardner beat himself. No, I don't agree with that. Uh-huh. I, I don't believe that because as a team, you can be poor defensively. And still say, um, and still see the player has the instincts to play good defense. Mm. So I don't, I don't buy that at all. Um, you know what I do think is, you know, I do think the Maple Leafs are going to make some structural changes uh, next year. Like one, one player told me that it was pretty clear after the season that they really want to change the minutes played next year. They, they want everybody to be a lot more even. And that goes on, you know, at forward and on the blue line. They really want to see more equitable numbers across the board. They felt that a lot of their guys, this player told me that they felt a lot of their guys, uh, the, the big guys, Kessel, Van Riemsdyk, who played at the Olympics, Fanoff, who plays a lot of minutes, really hit the wall at the end of last season. And, and they don't want that again. And I would bet, and, you know, I know you had Peter Horacek on, on I think, Jeff's show last week, that there's going to be some changes to the way they play defense uh, as a team, not just the defenseman as a team. Uh, I think you'll, you'll probably obviously talk about his 5-5-5 thing where there's always five guys in the picture. And I also think that they will take some, to make some changes to how they attack the puck in the defensive zone. And, you know, so to me it's a two-way street. It's, it's the way the team plays, but it's also, even if you have a team that doesn't play good defense, does the player show you that he's got the proper defensive instincts? Is he at least trying to make the right play? And I think that's what they're going to demand more of. Well, the good news for Leaf fans is the bar is uh, extremely low. He's an NHL insider. Well, you guys are a real pessimist, aren't you? <laughs> no, not at all. Man, I, I'm, <laughs> just look, I'm looking forward to the, Ellie, the Robitaz just... buyout in a couple of years. <laughs> We'll be discussing that. Just just record uh, shot total against. He's an NHL insider for the NHL on Rogers. Still kind of weird to say. Elliot Friedman. Elliot, thanks for doing this. My pleasure, boys. Have a good morning. Hey, you too. And that's uh, good to hear about more even minutes because how often right. have we talked about Dion Phaneuf just playing way too many minutes for this club? Well, again, it's about trust because Randy Carlisle trusts yeah. Dion Phaneuf and that's why he puts him in every single situation mm. against the league's best players. And clearly, uh, the first half of the season, Dion played really well for the Maple Leafs and everybody was surprised. But at the end of the season, Jeff, he kind of ran out of gas because... He logged so many minutes for this Maple Leafs team. He just didn't have anything at the end. Uh, we'll take your calls in talking about Cody France, and he's the highest or second highest paid Leafs defenseman on the roster right now, and I don't think that's going to change. So uh, let's talk about that and how that grabs you. 416 or star 590 at SN590 at Jeff Sammet 590 on Twitter. Love to hear what you have to say about that. Let's squeeze in Mark in Richmond Hill joining us on the Jeff Blair Show on Sportsnet 590. The fan, Mark, how's that grab you? Uh, it's hurting me, guys. <laughs> I mean, here we go again. We're paying big money for a fifth or sixth. Uh, defenseman. It is 45 years of I just shake my head. I, I don't get it. Well, look, he, he was looking for 4.2. The Leafs offered him two. They they split it up the middle and that's where we are right now, Mark. Thank you. And it's, uh, I think that's uh, pretty much what we're going to get as far as callers and, and how they feel about that. 
Because obviously no one's going to be happy about $3.3 million to Cody France and him being the second highest paid Leafs defenseman on the roster right now. I can't imagine anybody's going to call in and be happy with that. You're not happy with that. And, and no, and when you when you look at that number, and to me, and, and I keep I keep hitting this home, it's all about the salary cap to me. And you're paying Tim Gleason this season just over eight hundred grand to play against you. Ditto two hundred grand for Carl Gunnarsson. That's a million dollars against the cap, giving Franz and maybe a million more than, than really what he's worth. That, that's pretty much two million against the cap. That you have Cody Franz in it, and you're paying these guys to play against you. And to me, you might need that, especially around a trade deadline uh, when you're desperate to add something to get into the playoffs, which the Maple Leafs are clearly desperate to do. But Elliot brought up the great point. He says that that's what the market is, and it's all about timing and leverage. And I understand that, but to me, just $3.3 million for a guy like Cody Franz and who can chip in on the power play but be a 5-6 guy to me just – just doesn't make sense. Four one six eight seven zero zero five ninety one triple eight triple six zero five ninety or star five ninety. How's about Mark in Toronto on Sportsnet five ninety? The fan, what you got, Mark? How are you guys? Good, Good. man. Love your show, man. Um, I don't understand how a five six at most player is getting three point three million. Actually, I can't understand. I look at the ownership group and see how much money they have. But on any other team, I don't think this guy would rack in three point three million a year. Um, halfway or not, I mean, him asking 4.2 just shows how smart he is in knowing he's going to get that and mm. not chop the bowl in half. Uh, last year, minus 20. The year before, plus 4. I mean, you guys do the math. Minus 20 player, if you find me one that's making $3.3 million a year, mm. I'll be very surprised. Uh, Mark, thank you. And, and Mark Frazier, that partnership that Cody Franson had a couple of years ago with him and, and the way that just blew up last year. I mean, Mark Frazier right. dropped off dramatically last year as well, and that's why he's not with the Toronto Maple Leafs anymore. Uh, but that was uh, an effective relationship that seemed to get Cody Franson back to everybody's good books, and then last year happened. Uh, but, you know, here's the good news, folks. It's a one-year deal. Right. So it's not as if this guy's locked in for three, four years. It's nothing like that. It's a one-year deal. So It's not like they signed a 37-year-old blue liner with two broken legs to a three-year deal. Right. It's not like as if they've done that this summer with Cody Franson. Uh, no, they Pretty much, Jeff, if, if you have a son who wants to play hockey, make sure he's a right-handed defenseman because you'll cash in. Well, yeah. We, we saw Absolutely. the Habs dish out all this money to Tom Gilbert. Mm-hmm. Only maybe one solid one season. Year? Yeah. Right. Now, oh, we can put him on the second power play, and guess what? He's a right-handed defenseman. Let's get to Chad and Coburg on Sportsnet 590. The fan, uh, Chad, Cody Franson, $3.3 million uh, for in a new one-year deal with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Second highest paid Leafs defenseman on the roster right now. How's that grab you? Uh, Sean, actually. Oh, I'm sorry. It says Chad on the screen. Apologies, oh, Sean. Go ahead, pal. Hey, uh, no, I, don't, I think personally, the only, I'd give him 50 bucks to jump in a cab and take, take it to the airport myself, but... <laughs> Hey, listen, the guy was, what, minus 20? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Minus 20. He scored yep. five goals. He handles the puck like a grenade. Uh, and what happened to Shanahan saying, like, these guys just, they always say something and then do something else. That's the thing. I don't, no, I wouldn't give them 3.3 million. Why couldn't they have taken them to arbitration and see what happens there? Who's to say the guy was going to give them 4.2 anyways? Well, he, I, we don't know, and and they could have given him more than that, but obviously no one would anticipate that, including the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think this is about what he would have gotten. I don't think he would have gotten more. Maybe he would have gotten less, but we're not talking that much of a, of a difference there. So I, I don't think that would have saved him a whole heck of a lot, and perhaps they just didn't want to go through the process. 
Ed in Etobicoke on the Jeff Blair Show. Go ahead, Ed. Hey, uh, hey, gents. Uh, um, you know what? If if Cody Francis is actually making three point three million dollars now, um, I, I'd rather I'd rather just right off the season bring uh, bring up Marley's defenseman to to fill in the fill in the holes and everything like that. It, it, this this if Cody France is making three point three million, if I'm Cody France, uh yeah, I like the money, but I don't want the the criticism that comes with it. But more more so, I think this is going to contribute to the whole sports industry busting one day, and not too far down the road. It it hasn't happened yet. The, no, All right, well, not yet. All right, thank you. No, that's again. We always hear that talk as well. Just like the rapture. When is it going to happen? It's, well, I mean... The, the end, sports is always no, because it continually makes money. Well, look, I mean, the, the NHL own, made owners, money hand over fist. Yeah, I mean, leagues and owners are making money, right. and, and why shouldn't the players? Right. But, frankly, everybody's overpaid. Everybody is. Right. $3.3 million to this guy, and that's that's about what he, he should be being... should should be getting paid based on... What what type of player he is and what kind of role he's going to fit in? It's slightly overpaid, yeah, but it's right about the wheelhouse. Gord Stelic has said it. Elliot Friedman has said it. I mean, uh, that makes me sad. I, I'm a hard worker. I'm not making three point three million dollars, and and that's the majority, or if not the entirety, of our audience saying that as well. well wait till he hits unrestricted free agency. The lunacy that is July one in right. the NHL. Who knows how much Cody Franz? If Brooks Orpic can cash in for, you know, millions and millions of dollars, these lackluster defensemen making all this coin. How much is Cody Franzen going to cash in? I mean, look, in? Af- how much is his athletes term? Are, athletes overpaid and, and, and owners making a, a, a ton more money than anyone could have anticipated. This is not breaking news, obviously. Mike in Toronto on Sportsnet 590, the fan. Mike, what do you think about Franzen being the second highest paid Leafs defenseman currently on the roster? You know what? I think I uh, I agree a lot with what uh, with what Elliot was saying about mm. um, you know about leverage in the market. I mean, uh, you know, the Leafs have a couple of young D that uh, you know they're going to be one two probably in the future. I think you know with Gardner and Riley and uh, you know say what you will about Dion as a number one. I, you know, personally, he's not a number one for me, but you know that's where they're at. And uh, I think Franson is a decent uh, third or fourth defenseman anywhere in the league. You know, the guy gets. You know, around 20, 30 points as a defenseman. His plus minus isn't great, but someone like a similar guy, like you know Jack Johnson, is making uh, three and a half. He's uh, he's getting about the same amount of points, and his plus minus is also equally terrible. So you know, there's there's the market for you. You know, that's what uh, that's what the Leafs are paying for. Mike, thank you. Uh, and, and you do not have Cody Franson on this roster. Uh, I don't think the Leafs can afford to entertain that the 3.3 million dollars uh, yeah but affording to not have france and around i i don't think the the toronto maple leafs have that luxury uh, like or lump cody france and i think that's just the leaf situation robin ajax rounding out the call portion of this segment on sportsnet 590 the fan go ahead rob how are you today gentlemen excellent yeah, i've been listening to you guys for two hours oh my goodness here we go thank you here's Here's what I'm thinking. In the first hour, it was Blue Jays. And how could we not pay? Let's spend all the money on the planet to get a winner. Right. I don't care what the guy is, who he is, bring him in, pay him what he wants. Right. Now, we're talking about the lease. How could you pay this guy this? How could you pay this guy that? 
everybody gets paid too much money. Guys, make up your mind. Rob, it's if a it's salary cap. That's yeah, why. And you got to manage the salary cap. Two, two different situations in two different leagues and two different sports. All right, Rob, thank you. That made no sense. It's two different leagues, two different sports, two completely different situations under completely different circumstances. Why wouldn't we have differing opinions on that? All right. Like the last 30 seconds of my life back. Speaking of the Blue Jays, there's one Blue Jay that perhaps we're not talking enough about. And we're going to address R.A. Dickey? No, you talk plenty about R.A. Dickey. I'm trying to get that rad nickname off the ground. That's it's not, not working. Let's give up. I think Ben Nicholson Smith's on my side. It's not 1986. Rad. I no like one how you says rad. an arbitrary year like 1986. I happen to know that rad was big in 1986. Fine. That's based on knowledge. Knowledge of the situation. Obviously, you have not read my book, Rad, When It Was Hot, <laughs> by Jeff Samet. It was more of a pamphlet than a book. Nevertheless, it was out there. It's George Russick. I'm Jeff Sam at the Jeff Blair Show. With you till noon. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Eleven forty four, The Jeff Blair Show. It's George Russick. I'm Jeff Sambit. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Baseball Central is on deck. Jeff Blair, Joe Siddle getting ready to, to hop in here and do their thing for an hour's time. Then Jeff will have primetime sports later on today at 4 o'clock. Uh, Mr. McCowan is on vacation. So a couple of uh, Toronto Blue Jays that perhaps are not being talked about enough, George. Uh, one being, and this would affect the Blue Jays' upcoming offseason dramatically, one would think, is Melky Cabrera. I mean, he's hitting 307 right now. He's just been a lock at the top of the lineup. And with all the injuries that the Blue Jays have had, a real godsend that he's been able to, to rebound the way he has in the second year of his two-year deal with the Toronto Blue Jays. He's healthy. He's contributing in many different ways. Heck, he's uh, swiping a few bases as well. He's got five stolen bases on the air. And I don't think we could have seen five stolen bases last year out of uh, an unhealthy Melky Cabrera. He's been dynamite this year. Uh, uh, Jeff, I don't just, I just, I can't picture the Blue Jays outfield without Melky Cabrera. He's been, as you mentioned, such a lock at the top of the, uh, at the order and probably the most consistent Blue Jay this entire season. And we kind of laugh that, you know, last season, unfortunately, he had that tumor on his spine and you saw him. I didn't know what the meaning of the word heavy-legged meant until I watched Melky mm. Cabrera last season. Yeah. But even now, defensively, he's made some great plays. Yep. And again, just been a consistent guy at the top of the order, more so than Jose Reyes. Jose Bautista battling some injuries, but Melky Cabrera's been that constant. And I just can't picture the Blue Jays without him playing left field next season. I can sure as hell picture Colby Rasmus not playing center, but not having Melky Cabrera playing left field. I just don't see it. And you talk about his hitting. He's hitting 363 against lefties with a 328 on base, 324s against righties with a 364 on base. The guy's been a hit machine all season, and he's been consistent on both sides of the plate. Well, you talk about Rasmus and looking beyond this year in the same way we do Cabrera. 
you have to be able to replace Rasmus, and I'm not sure you have that within the organization. And boy, did we hope we did with Anthony Ghost, but I'm not sure he's an everyday player. Doesn't get on base enough. You know, he certainly is fine defensively. He's got a great arm. But I don't know if he's played well enough that you could look at him and say that this guy should be or can be in the lineup every day at the major league level. I'm not sold on that quite yet. Do you think it's time, though, to give him that opportunity once and for all and then see what you finally have in Anthony Ghost? No, this isn't the right team in the right situation for that. I would I would not like to see that happen. Now, if the if, Blue Jays shore up somewhere else, mainly in the well, infield. Well, that's it. That's what I was, was going to get to because we were, you know, coming into this season, we were talking about Ryan Goins being the starting second baseman. And we were, the majority of us, I know I was saying it, we were saying, well, you know, if everybody else, one through eight, is hitting, then you got Ryan Goins hitting ninth. He's not hitting really that much. He's hitting maybe 250. Okay. Yeah, maybe a little less than that. All right. You, you, could, you could do with that. And we were worried that maybe Deano Navarro being the starting catcher, that perhaps that's two liabilities in the lineup, but he certainly hasn't been that. So I think the same can be said if you're talking about Anthony Ghost in center field. If you're one through eight, if you're solid, and you have Ghost as your starter in center field and batting ninth, if that's... What you have to do, and I'm not trying to kick Colby Rasmus out the door necessarily, but if that's what you're going to go with, but one through eight, you're solid, okay. Uh, I I understand the offense, and clearly it's important, but how much is his defense bringing to the table? How many runs ultimately in a season can can Anthony Ghost's glove and his speed save in the outfield? I don't don't think we, we talk about that enough, and obviously, you know, he, he's got to wor- work on the hitting aspect. The, the, everybody keeps saying how he needs to bump more just to get on base to use that speed. Successfully. Jeff, right. Successfully. But, Jeff, that glove in center field, my goodness. Well, and, what, and what is that worth for an entire season? He's got to keep his head in, in check as well because we saw him uh, a week or so ago in, in a ball that uh, had gotten in front of him, that it was clearly a single. He allowed to be a double because he didn't get after it quick enough. You know, he's... He's got to be better. Like, he's he's not in a steady enough position with this organization that that can be overlooked. So he's got to really round out his game for him to be an everyday player. But like I said, you know, and like you said, if one through eight, they were solid up and down the lineup. I think he could be forgiving of the number nine spot. And if that was Anthony Ghost, then fine. Now, the other player that we look at, they say, maybe we're not, he's not being talked about enough. And which is odd because everybody loves Minori Kawasaki. But he's been very reliable. And as we talk right. about who the Blue Jays should go out and acquire and, and what needs they should address, a lot of people talking about a second baseman. And Mike Wilner talks about it on the Blue Jays broadcast and saying, well, you know, the second base position has actually been okay with Kawasaki. He's in the middle of an eight-game hitting streak right now. He's been fine. He's been doing everything that, that you could ask of him. So if Kawasaki were to keep this up, he should be your starting second baseman the rest of the year. And that is if he's going to keep that up. Not a lot of us are holding our breath that he's right. going to do that. But, hey, it is what it is right now with Kawasaki. He is what he is, and he's been fine, and that's not a need that you address. Now, you look at the third base position with Juan Francisco, with Brett Laurie My out of the goodness. lineup. All right, yeah. So maybe you're chasing a third baseman, a solid third baseman that you can have the rest of the year so that when Brett Laurie does come back, yeah, he replaces Kawasaki. He ends up playing second base and your infield's all right. Well, we had Ben on earlier in the show and he said when it comes to Kawasaki, only 100 plus at-bats and that's just not a big enough sample size. And as yeah. you mentioned, the name Juan Francisco as well. He was red hot for the Blue Jays there, but he got figured out. I'm not saying that Munenori Kawasaki is going to get figured out sooner than later, but can you really 
trust that because you, you, you get can't suckered, bank on it. You get suckered in, like I think we did with Juan Francisco. And now Juan Francisco is a major, major hole, not only in the lineup, but he's also a major hole defensively. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you could do worse, but you certainly can do better with Francisco at third base. But it'd be interesting to see how the Blue Jays address their needs. And I, I guess maybe a bigger question is if they address their needs on the trade market. Now, we're not privy to every conversation that Alex Anthopoulos has or has had around the league and what price he would pay for whatever player that's out there. But uh, I think we're in agreement that we hope the, the Toronto Blue Jays and Alex Anthopoulos uh, do something to, to get better because we don't look at this team necessarily as a championship team. They're a couple of players away. Uh, with George Russick, I'm Jeff Samet. Thanks to you for listening, calling, texting, tweeting, uh, emailing. Thank you to that guy that did that. Follow us on Twitter at RussickSN590, at Jeff Samet 590 We're back tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. with another edition of the Jeff Blair Show. Jeff is on deck with Joe Siddle for Baseball Central next on Sportsnet 590, the fan. And, well, happy 57th birthday, John Lovitz.